Welcome back to part two of this Influencers podcast. I'm here with Simon Taylor, advisory committee member and founder of Global Digital Finance, head of strategy and content at Sardine, a fraud and compliance API that helps crypto and digital businesses prevent fraud. We're going to come on to talk about risk and risk management and maybe some of the benefits in the crypto and DeFi space that we can accrue around risk and risk management. But before we get there, I do just want to touch on this issue around um, debanking crypto because we've also we mentioned SVB a few times, but we've also uh, mentioned Silvergate and Signature. So, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, they were they did have exposure to the crypto industry. They were banking crypto businesses and perhaps providing some other crypto related services it doesn't look at the moment like those services are being reinstated in relation to you know with some of the businesses that have been sold and whether or not those services will ultimately be able to get back off the ground is there a policy to debank crypto do you think and if there is either a policy or that's just the market effect of these collapses how is that going to be solved isn't that going to cause major practical problems for this industry well do we want this industry to legitimize or not because if we keep uh going the way we're going we're going to keep pushing it to the margins we're going to keep pushing it offshore and it will be the constant pariah if you create an enemy you will end up with an enemy um and it will get used that way the alternative is to create legitimacy and the problem is the most impacted businesses, the ones feeling the most pain, are the most legitimate because they're the easiest to to go hit with a stick because they're regulated, because they're onshore, um, because they sit inside a neat regulatory perimeter and they're trying to play nice. And those are the ones most affected. I do think uh, the easiest thing to do as a uh, chief risk officer is to de-risk. That what's the downside as a CRO to de-risk something? And of course, de-risking in, in banking is often code for uh, closing accounts, closing accounts that are high risk. Now, there are very legitimate use cases for this. If you discover that a criminal enterprise is operating, you absolutely should close that account. But de-risking an entire sector is you start getting into treating customers fairly issues. You start getting into, well, what are you doing for small businesses? Uh, I've known many, many organizations um, that provide software consulting into and, and software uh, services or data services that have had their account closed by their bank. Why? If you're providing uh, tools for compliance, I know people that have had their accounts closed by their bank because it had the word blockchain or crypto or digital assets somewhere in it. And somebody on a spreadsheet said, we've got to close that one too. And that's going to build up and store up a really, really big problem. So I think if you're a chief risk officer, the devil is in the detail here. Um, and don't forget that the crypto does still have some deep pockets uh, and it will be an effective lobby and it will start to push back against a lot of this sort of stuff. So there's the legitimate side of the argument as well as the don't push this stuff offshore. Um, so I think trying to uh, control it and limit it too much will end up creating the reverse effect. You'll, you'll create the, the offshore problem. And if you continue down this path, you're also going to create a, a sort of a, a real serious uh, political issue and an internal issue around not treating customers fairly, frankly. I read that 
circle, for example, had moved a significant amount of its collateral deposits to BNY Mellon after the SVB collapse. So clearly, as you say, for the businesses with the deep pockets and the legitimate businesses, if you like, um, there is still banking provision available. But how do we need to encourage the industry to help with that legitimization process? How can the industry itself create the right approach and the nuanced approach? Because you're saying, you know, banks, maybe a chief risk officer might take a blanket approach because there's just too much risk in the industry, full stop. There are people trying to start their own crypto banks and follow the rules that are consistently denied. Um, so there's that problem as well. Um, so I think ultimately it's it, part one is persistence and part two is uh, solving the problem ahead of time. Let's just go build the answer and present the solution. Um, so one example that GDF was heavily involved in is IVMS 101 around the um, FASF travel rule. This is a standard for inter-VASP communication around beneficiary and recipient uh, pay and pay or uh, KYC information. There are many other examples like that of standards emerging in the industry that are widely adopted that then can have technology solutions placed around them that re reduce manual review and lean into what the technology is capable of. So let's build thousands more of these. Let's build a tech-enabled, reg-tech, supervisory tech, uh, financial services sector of the future and then let's show the regulators the performance. And let's, uh, I'm a believer that data wins arguments. So let's show the data. I mean, there's this, there's this interesting thing that in the traditional financial services industry, everybody talks a good game about being regulated, but nobody shows you their numbers. Uh, nobody wants to tell you what their fraud rate really is. Nobody wants to tell you how many times they've been hacked. The best thing is to just ignore the problem and make it go away. Uh, DeFi has the opposite problem. There's a lot of sunlight through the form of transparency, and it's a very good disinfectant, but everybody gets really, really scared about all the bad things happening. And so there's, there's definitely a nuance and a balance here, which is you don't want to scare all of your customers because the world is scary if you look at all the bad things all the time. But if you are a uh, chief risk officer or you're a financial institution or you're a policymaker, then actually understand the virtues of this technology. The industry is ready and willing through forums like GDF and many others to build these solutions and already are building these solutions. Uh, let's do that a lot, lot more. Let's try and speak more with one voice. Um, you know, I think if you're a, a regulator or a policymaker, you are peppered by every organization banging your door down. I think representation can be a good thing. Um, and let's let's get aligned and let's move forward. Yeah, it's some sort of technology enabled accredited sort of whitelist type solution seems to me. That might be one. Another example might be what do we do around uh, disclosures for securities? Uh, is there a registry of disclosures? What should we do for DAOs? Should DAOs have a registry in some way, shape or form of who the UBOs are and what should that look like? Should that be on chain? Uh, the more you, time you spend in this space, the more you realize that there are thousands of things that we could do uh, along these lines. There's not one single solution to one single risk. 
there is an ocean full of risks and, and, a, and a universe full of potential solutions. Um, but the industry um, that is at the cutting edge of this technology is probably well-placed to build reg tech and supervisory tech. Um, most governments around the world partner with one of the crypto forensics businesses like uh, TRM, Chainalysis, and Elliptic. Uh, that is just one example of the type of business that could exist. There could be many, many more for many different types of risk. But what we need, of course, is standards. Um, so one of the initiatives of global digital finance, of course, is to create the Open Standards Council to create a space in which a third party, new existing standards can all come together and say, here's how we gain adoption. Um, in the early days of the internet, we invented something called certificate authorities. And what a certificate authority does is essentially grant a certificate through HTTPS to say that this site is the site you're looking for. It's, it's, it's secured, uh, you've got a secured communication. That's one example that we can learn from. There'll be many, many others like it for many of the different types of financial risk. And taking maybe a more practical approach to risk management, I think some of the very practical learnings out of the SVB situation, you know, don't have all your eggs in one basket in terms of, you know, if you're um, a company which is banking with a single institution, processing all payments, etc., through single institution, holding capital with a single institution, perhaps that institution is also your lender. That that does create a really, really major risk issue, obviously, if that institution starts to fail. I mean, we saw that. So that kind of concentration risk problem. So diversification of institutional relationship and also you know, of where and how you might hold your capital is really important. Whether that begins to bridge not just having multiple bank accounts with traditional banks, but also engaging perhaps in some diversification of the type of financial assets that you hold and where you hold them. You know, do you have a sort of on-chain and off-chain strategy? That's a potentially, you know, another aspect of learning that may come from this. So, those are practical examples of risk management strategies that we're definitely hearing discussed broadly. What else would you say, Simon, is a practical risk management learning from this that our listeners should take away? I think the the other one is uh, deposits are only as good as the risk management at the bank. And you can see that in the fact that people are trying to hold treasuries. So diversifications and no brainer. Um, and KYR, know your risks. Um, everything, everyone's a winner in a bull market. Um, you know, everyone's a genius, uh, but uh, the downside always comes, the rainy day always comes, and history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And the solutions of yesterday don't always apply to today, but the lessons of yesterday certainly should be applied with today's context. So kind of keep that in mind uh, and, and kind of network with your peers. Other people are facing this issue, and there are things that are not competitive. Um, and risk is, you know, certain many types of risk are not competitive. And this is where having forums can be really, really helpful to understand, you know, what are my peers experiencing? How is the industry solving this challenge? Uh, what can I do about custody? What What are the options? What are the pros and cons of, of digital custody? What can I do about anti-money laundering? What do I do if I'm looking to get into private market tokenization? Can I even touch that? Who do I speak to? Where are my peers? Uh, where's the forum for that. So I think communication is always a great way to, to learn. 
We've seen this historically, you know, that behind closed doors, the banks and regulators do communicate about where uh, economic crime is occurring and how to mitigate and manage it. That is something that is a societal issue and, it, and it's right and proper that that happens. The digital asset industry should be doing it. The traditional financial services industry should be doing it. Um, but know your risk as you go in, go in with your eyes open. Because I do think there will be another crypto bull market. I do think we'll see a lot of lessons come out of that. But if you look at the, the the crypto market, it has been resilient. It continues to work. So know the risks of it, know the risks of the traditional financial services market. And, and part of the thing we see at Sardine is know the arbitrage risk between the two. Uh, what we're seeing an awful lot of is that somebody will go hack uh, a bunch of DeFi wallets and low-hanging fruit, then open a bunch of accounts with you know digital banks and try and wash the proceeds of crime back into the financial industry. And the banks aren't looking at their crypto forensics tools. The crypto businesses don't have access to the banking tools. So understand the arbitrage risk and don't make that crypto business around the corner the enemy, but they are your uh, collaborator. So I think it's not TradFi versus DeFi. It's not TradFi versus digital assets. It's a technology. We all have a visibility problem, but this technology is natively transparent. It's natively global. Uh, so we have to be natively transparent. We have to be natively global in, in, in our mindset. Yeah, that transparency is absolutely a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, I've seen that in other contexts as well. For example, in the conversation around energy consumption and blockchain and the way that the transparency is, at least initially, can be used against the very transparent uh, system. But then when you start to dig in and think a bit more about the comparators in whatever is the traditional comparative arrangement, there are likely to be similar types of issues. They're just not transparent and on the surface. Well, I mean, how much how much carbon does printing money and shipping around uh, most countries cost? <laughs> uh, how much carbon is ChatGPT using right now? Because I guarantee yeah. you it's an awful lot. Uh, where's the headline about how much carbon ChatGPT is using? Yeah. Um, where's the public outcry? Where's the regulatory outcry about that? Because it, uh, the, the fact that uh, we as a species are the frog that is boiling ourselves is still an issue. Uh, we still need to solve for climate security, for energy security. These are still major, major issues. But again, uh, crypto becomes the scapegoat. Why? Because it, it's it's so topical. It's 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 like a movie. It's a roller coaster. It's 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 a casino and it's a technology and it's all of those things together. I get the narratives. I get the temptation to be sensationalist. Uh, it is the most sublime and ridiculous topic all at the same time. And yet, if in the middle of it is something beautiful, pragmatic, and sensible, if we could just navigate some of the some of the temptations to sensationalize, I, I completely agree. I think the other thing you mentioned it briefly before. You said, for example, understanding whether or not you're permitted to engage with tokenization of real world assets mm. as as an example of a potential diversification strategy that you might seek to understand a bit more about in the context of you know what's happened in the traditional financial markets in recent times that's a really interesting point because it is touching on this very dynamic regulatory environment and permission environment that sits around the ability for investors institutional investors to, to kind of engage with these digital assets markets mm -hmm. how do you think one can best manage 
sort of that regulatory dynamic understanding and risk. So much of it is about avoiding the emotive labels. So um, I've seen a lot of folks uh, lately in financial institutions talk about deposit tokens. Now, a deposit token could be something that you invent and run on your own internal private blockchain. Uh, a deposit token could be something that happens to be USDC, but behind the scenes, that money is sitting at BNY Mellon. Uh, so what is a deposit token and when does it stop being a deposit token and start being a stable coin? Oh, but I don't like that word. We've got to avoid the emotive labels. So avoid emotive labels uh, would be advice piece number one. And number two, uh, understand and build a thesis of where you think this stuff is going because there are a lot of um, uh, folks that did start initially building their own blockchain and then you saw the consortia chains. And what you've seen is that the, the hyperledgers, the quarters, the digital asset uh, markup languages have actually started to play a bit of more of a nuanced role, which is Ethereum will continue to exist. Public permissionless blockchains will continue to exist and they are a critical part of the infrastructure. This is not an all, this is an and. So how do I make all of my existing processes, legal obligations, clients and responsibilities work with that? And that's where the quarters, the DAMLs, the enterprise Ethereums of the world play a really important role, which is actually interfacing back with the traditional legacy software, uh, hardware, regulatory environment with this new infrastructure. And the new infrastructure is coming back the other way. So we end up meeting somewhere in the middle. And I think understand that uh, this is not an all, that this is a nuanced topic. Um, but if you avoid the emotive labels and then speak to the business benefit of, well, wouldn't you like an order of magnitude re reduction in cost? Wouldn't you like a global marketplace? Wouldn't you like that to trade 24 seven? Wouldn't you like instant price discovery? Yes, I'd like all of those things. Okay, so let's not throw the technology baby out with the bathwater. Let's not get lost in the hype and the media and let's stay the course. And I think the biggest thing, my lesson is, a lot of organizations got very interested in crypto in 2016 and then kind of put it down after 2018. And then they came back to it in 2020, 21, and now they're kind of putting it down again. But a few have stayed the course. And those are the ones that over the longer term horizon really stand to benefit from this shift. Yeah, I think understanding that those benefits of the technology, those types of business solutions are available using technology that has the relevant credentials that's being developed in an environment that understands and is specifically built to operate to a regulated financial institutional level, I think that that's a really important part of the nuances between broad investigations into blockchain, vague blockchain, well, what can we do, you know, vague blockchain initial, maybe your generalist, your generalist initial understanding, and then beginning to actually delve deeper into a well risk managed approach to evolution of those types of projects. When you begin to understand the types of AML risk management in this space that's available because of the way that you can add that on to your financial services architecture and the way that that architecture can be built using technology that's regulatory appropriate, has the right credentials, and that's been built properly using the standards, you can really begin to see how this market, as you say, is actually 
it's maturing. There's a, there's a real maturing of understanding of what's needed to create a well-risk managed offering in the financial services space. Um, and that, that's continuing, that's still continuing now. That's not stopped just because of the Terra Luna situation or FTX, you know, those things are negative for the sector. They create a lot of negative media, but they are specific circumstances with very peculiar human actors involved in bad actors exist everywhere. And then beyond that, there's this evolution of the space, this maturing of the space, which I think is incredibly compelling and is continuing. The thing that never gets the headline is person quietly works hard. Um, but person quietly work hard, works hard five, 10 years later is the overnight success. Um, the thing that does get the headline is the rising star, the overnight success, the the da, 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 the, the personality, uh, and then their downfall. You know, we, we see those, those headlines, um, but ignore that. Head to the grindstone, nose to the grindstone, keep moving forward. And I do think that we have an opportunity to build a more efficient, fair, inclusive, global 24 seven programmable financial market. Like that is out there that is meaningfully more efficient for the world. Financial services is the substrate to everything that humans do. It is, if you wanna build a school, if you wanna build a hospital, whatever you care about, finance touches it. If we wanna do that stuff, then let's look at this with sober eyes um, and a builder's mentality and we'll get somewhere special. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for joining us today for our discussion, exploring what's really going on with crypto and the banking world. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes, which will feature further conversations between Hogan Lovells and some of the leading influencers in the digital assets and blockchain space. Visit hoganlovells.com forward slash blockchain for more podcasts and other resources, or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users.